Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. This is going to sound strange. I go to one supermarket across the road from work and I've taken photos of all the signs on each aisle. And so I'm building a map of where all of the ingredients that I have live. And the idea is that I'll be able to tap on, I'm going to make nachos tonight. So I tap on the nacho button and now I've got a list in order of aisle. And then when I go, I go in there and if you set your iPhone to nearby, I'm not going to focus with a perspective. Then when you go into your, your watch, you, you bring up nearby and suddenly, oh, it knows you near the supermarket and you just tap on the watch as you pick each item. Welcome back to another episode of iPad Pros. I'm excited to share a lengthy chat I had with Chris from New Zealand. We covered a bunch of different topics, including his day job as a product photographer, how the iPad is used in his work training motorcyclists at the IAM RoadSmart, his process for capturing and editing black and white photographs, and how he shoots and edits motovlogs. We also, towards the end of the episode, dive into journaling, mind mapping, task management, Apple Music, Lossless, and a few other little topics. As a teaser for an upcoming episode, I encourage everyone that is at all curious about music notation to download Dorco and or Sibelius for the iPad. Both of these apps came out within 24 hours of each other in the last week of July. These are some of the biggest music composition apps for the Mac, and it was a complete surprise to find them both come to iPad. I think both for Dorco and Sibelius, they were surprised as well to see their competition release a full-featured desktop class app for the iPad basically at the same time. Dorco especially is an example of what a professional music notation app can look like on iPad. But Dorco is in another league with a nailing note input either with just a QWERTY keyboard or especially with a MIDI keyboard attached, either via Bluetooth or USB. I've been getting back into composition as a daily practice thanks to Dorco being on the iPad. And with Dorco, you do get a very full-featured, rich experience for free. No cost at all. So download that today to check it out and get a bit of time with it before the next episode where we will be going very in-depth into Dorco and Sibelius for the iPad. As a reminder, you can now financially support iPad Pros in two different places. First off, patreon.com slash iPad Pros. Get episodes early and with embedded MP3 chapter markers by supporting the podcast at any tier. Bonus content is available at the higher tiers. You can also now subscribe to iPad Pros in Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts is all-inclusive as a single subscription, so you'll get all the bonus shows plus episodes early by subscribing to the show in Apple Podcasts. By default, subscriptions are monthly, but if you go into the subscription settings in the settings app, you can switch to a yearly plan. My thanks to everyone that currently or has in the past supported the podcast financially. This podcast is not a quick one to produce, and your support is greatly, greatly, greatly appreciated. You can also support the podcast for free simply by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. The reviews help send the right signals to Apple to show the podcast more in search, helping others discover the show. If you have a minute today, I'd really appreciate you opening up the podcast app and leaving a simple review. My thanks to everyone that has already left one. With that, here's my interview with Chris. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thanks, Tim. Good to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on. I'm excited to chat about kind of some different things that you do with the iPad. Uh, can you first introduce yourself and what your current iPad setup is? Okay, my name is Chris Nielsen. I am from New Zealand. I live about an hour and a half south of Auckland and 40 minutes west of Hobbiton. Uh, I'm a motorcyclist. 
a photographer, I'm a YouTube creator, and an iPad enthusiast. And I work as a product photographer in the motorcycle industry. Uh, my current setup is a 2017 iPad Pro 10.5 inch with a Apple Pencil, which has seen better days. Yeah, you sent me a picture. Uh, looks like uh, your little puppy had some fun with your uh, pencil. Thankfully, not your iPad. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, it's easy to lose the pencil. You put it down, and next to the minute, the, you hear a crunching noise from uh, around the corner, and you know what's happened. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've lost my pencil for days on end. And actually, I have two Apple Pencil 2s because I thought I lost my original one. And it showed up like a week later, and uh, yeah, so I have a backup now, which is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my uh, Apple Pencil is well chewed, but it still works remarkably. So the ten and a half inch iPad Pro, that's kind of one of my favorite iPads to ever have been released. Like it's kind of the pinnacle of design of that original home button. Have Have you been tempted to upgrade, or is that a, that ten and a half inch kind of like a sweet spot for you right now? Okay, so when I when I bought the iPad, uh, I remember thinking it was a good size. I moved up from a mini, um, whatever the number was in 2017. Yeah. So I moved up from mini to the iPad Pro, and I thought, oh, this is a pretty good size. Uh, and one minute, it's brand new, and next minute, it's five years old, and I really didn't know what happened in between. It's <laughs> time, time flies. So I used to, I would, I'd love a, uh, a like a 12.9 um, iPad Pro, whatever the current model is, and yes, I will pick one up at some point. But this, this is still working somehow, and I... I take it everywhere. I absolutely hammer it. Yeah. Um, and uh, it works fine. So it'll, I'll get another 12 months out of it and then we'll replace it with a 12.9 probably. Yeah. Yeah. My only frustration with that model, I still have it as like my backup model I'll use when I'm um, kind of doing beta stuff and also selling my main one to getting the new one or whatever. And my biggest frustration I experienced was just the smart keyboard. Uh, just going to the magic keyboard, it kind of like ruins you for the other <laughs> uh, Apple keyboards for iPad. Oh, okay. I when I bought this iPad, I also bought the. I, I don't know what it's called. The 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 keyboard you had to be you had to have a black belt in origami to fold. Oh it yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had that, and that unfortunately, I still I've actually got the thing currently on the iPad as we're talking uh, as a kickstand, but the keyboard died a few years ago. Mm, it lasted two yeah. three years. Then that's it. But it, it's a shame because I really enjoyed having a keyboard stuck to it. A Bluetooth keyboard, I find uh, it's not the same when it's stuck, stuck to it because you've got to sort of hold the iPad up and put the keyboard somewhere and it's much easier just having it stuck to it. Yeah, definitely. So what's the role of the iPad in your life? Is it both a personal tool as well as a work tool or kind of where, where does it fit into your life? It's mostly a personal tool. We do use it at work uh, for some things. I use it for checking our uh, corporate website to make sure it works on, on mobile sometimes. And uh, I've made a couple of videos, uh, corporate videos for work with it, but mostly it's a personal device. So I, I take it everywhere. I take it in the car. I take it everywhere except dog walks. Um, and so I have podcasts in the car. Um, I make videos. I edit photos. I do mind mapping. I do tasks. I do you know, enormous list of things I do with it. Excellent. Yeah. And you mentioned at the opening that you're based in New Zealand. And I love that you're just 40 minutes away from Hobbiton, which is you yes. know one of the places I'd love to go one day, uh, New Zealand in general. But also, uh, Peter Jackson's kind of one of my favorite directors. And uh, I'm curious, Hobbiton, is that pretty locked down as a tourist spot? Or as a photographer, can you do some fun stuff out there? Okay, so I live here, and I still haven't made it out there. Oh, wow. Uh, it's on my... <laughs> Yes, I must go there. Well, if you go, you know, fly across the world, yeah. then, of course, $80 is nothing. But $80 when, you know, you're a local, they don't give us discounts for being uh, locals. Ah, yeah. Yeah, I should go there sometime. Yeah, it'll be there, you know, and and however many years later. Now, uh, it's still there and I haven't gone to it. So, yeah. Uh, now, it's in the middle of nowhere. Right. It's just like it looks 
in the middle of rolling farmland and uh, and see you can't really get close to it. Um, I've uh, flown over it and had a look, and it looks just like you know, oh, there's the tree, and it, so it looks just like in the movies. But I've I've not actually been in there. Okay, and it, yeah, it's kind of kind of amazing that uh, I guess. Peter Jackson's estate bought the land and they just like have that permanently set up. Most movie sets just like disappear after filming's done. So that's kind of an unusual situation. Yeah, they did have the original set wasn't permanent and I don't think they expected anybody to come and look at it. And then they rebuilt it a few years later into a permanent one, which they have now. Yeah. And it's very good for the local area. The, the town that's near uh, really had nothing but now there's there's statues of Gollum in the main street, and when the tourists were here, at least before COVID, it was absolutely buzzing. So it's been good for them, and you know, obviously, it's uh, as a Kiwi, we 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 like everyone knows about us because right you know, before <laughs> before Lord of the Rings, you know, we're a little country in the middle of nowhere, um, and whenever someone on TV mentions New Zealand, our ears prick up and we go, oh. Oh, New Zealand! Of course, everyone knows about us now, so yeah. we, we love that. So, Peter Jackson's seen favorably for the economy and the country overall. Like, I grew up loving. Like in high school, I'd watch like Bad Taste and his really early stuff that you know before Lord of the Rings came out, and some really inventive stuff and uh, kind of shot throughout in the New Zealand area. Yeah, uh, we. I'm, I'm actually a little conflicted as to how I feel about Peter Jackson. Is, uh, I, I think to the average Kiwi, we, we, we think he's done really good things for us. Uh, and I come from aviation, and we just, in aviation, we love Peter Jackson because he's done such good things for aviation. But I think if you work in the film industry, you wouldn't be quite as happy, possibly. There's some some issues there. Yeah. But, uh, aviation, he's got a, a fleet of replica, replica World War One aircraft and uh, fantastic stuff. Oh, is that for the documentary that he did a little bit ago? Uh, he's, I think he just loves them. He's got yeah. an amazing museum of old aircraft that he's um, built um, with uh, Weta Workshop doing these massive dioramas. It's fantastic. Huh. As an aviation enthusiast, it's, uh, yeah. it's a must-see. Yeah. So we love him yeah. as uh, aviation people, but I'm not sure everyone else loves him quite as much. Gotcha. Yeah. So for your day job... You do a job that I think I'd have a lot of fun doing, uh, a product <laughs> photographer. This is kind yeah. of the field of photography where you make products look pristine and amazing, or I guess depending on the industry you're in, uh, maybe just here's what it looks like the real world kind of thing. So how do you first off get into this uh, field of photography? Okay, so I have, I'm a self-taught amateur. I'm not uh, professionally trained. I've, I've been doing photography since about 1980. So that indicates how, just how old I am. Uh, and I love motorcycles. Um, I got a job in the motorcycle industry, and they needed someone to do product photography. So um, I thought, why not? And they got me to, into, into the little photo studio and, and uh, went from there. And we've learned a lot. I've, I've been sort of learning on the job. And, yeah, it's been a big improvement on what we had before. But obviously still a long way to go since I'm, I'm not a professional. But I'll get the job done. And have a bit of fun doing it. I mean, they pay me to play with cameras and a couple of days. So who wouldn't like that? Yeah. And so the f- products are in the motorcycle field, like parts or actual motorcycles, or what's the. Yeah. So I work for uh, Australia and New Zealand's, um, one of the biggest parts and accessory distributors, certainly the biggest in New Zealand. And so we have, you know, two or 300 new products a month coming through that need photographs taken. All sorts of little things from nuts and bolts right through the helmets and tires and. Everything to do with motorcycles, basically, except the actual bikes themselves. Uh, so it's huge. We've got something like you know, a, a million and a half products on, on the books. Oh, wow. So it's it's enough. I'd like to clone myself sometimes. So what's kind of your approach to getting a good product shot? Because I imagine you need a very big white room, perhaps, and 
shadows can sometimes be an issue. Like, uh, it seems like there's a lot of challenges to make a product look just amazing in, in a photo. Yeah, I've we've learned a lot. We have completely changed the way I, I shoot products. Now, if any of the listeners are product photographers, they're probably going to recall in horror at, at how I do it. But So we originally, I tried to get everything right in camera, having a white background and having lots of lights. And I found it very challenging to consistently get a good result. So what I've sort of gravitated towards slowly is I have a couple of lights on the product that um, try and make balance the light out. I have nice diffused uh, light with soft boxes, try and make the product look good. And then I use Affinity Photo on uh, an iMac that I've got in the photo studio. And I use its selection brush basically to cut around the product and just mask the background out. And suddenly you've got a product uh, just floating over white. And it doesn't matter if there's if the background's a bit um, uneven because it just disappears. Yeah. And when you look at Apple's product photography, do you think those are actual photos or are they doing a mixture of renders along with photos or what's your kind of interpretation for how they approach it? I would love to know. <laughs> I mean, I don't even look at it. It makes me feel quite sick when I see these pretty professional photos and then I see what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fine, it's, it's fine for our purposes. Um, if the product looks good um, and, you know, people click on, click on the website and they can see what the product they're buying is, it doesn't have to be perfect. I'm dealing with, uh, you know, 300 products a month and Apple's, I guess they can, they've got professionals, they've got a really um, probably a much better setup than I do, you know, just building a couple of lights and piece of white paper. Uh, but they, they can spend a lot more time on individual products and I have to kind of, I can spend two minutes on a product and it's on to the next thing. Yeah. So how do you incorporate the iPad throughout uh, your day job and do you, if you did get it like a 12.9 or if they ever made like 15 or 16 inch iPad, God forbid, uh, do you see that that kind of larger screen would help you, you know, use the Apple Pencil more to like get rid of the backgrounds and uh, kind of what's the role today and how could it be in the future? Do you see it? I've tried using my iPad uh, to do the same uh, job as I do on the iMac uh, with Affinity Photo. And I found with the Apple Pencil, it's actually easier to get a good result um, on the iPad. Uh, I guess because I'm using the mouse uh, on the on the iMac, it's not very precise. But with the um, with the Apple Pencil, you can you can really precisely um, click on exactly where you want to put the dots on the when you're selecting. So I, I don't know. I, I probably still won't use it for my photo work at work just because I've got the gear provided to me uh, and kind of don't really want to use personal equipment. Uh, yeah, it makes sense. Full time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I use my camera gear at work sometimes when I'm feeling a bit bored and I want to change things up, but but I prefer just to use the, the work stuff. And I say 27-inch iMac, it's, it's yeah, nice big screen. Even in 12.9 iPad, won't, uh, won't get anywhere near that, obviously. Nope. <laughs> um, I'd love to use it at work, but I just no, I don't think it's going to happen. But I have a full personal life, so my iPad gets, gets a workout every day anyway. Yeah. So you do motorcycle video blogs. And before we dive into that, I want to chat about the work you do with IAM RoadSmart. Uh, so first off, what is this group or organization? Okay, so it's a uh, road safety organization uh, providing uh, advanced driving and riding instruction to motorcycles and cars. So if you uh, if you want to improve your chances of staying alive as a motorcyclist, uh, advanced training is the thing to go to. We do one-on-one -on -one training with uh, motorcyclists and uh, I've gone through the, the syllabus. We, we have a, a advanced test we do. Um, I've gone through, done that, and now I'm being trained up as, uh, I hate to use the word instructor because we're not, uh, it's not like an instructor's ticket on my license, but there's an in-house quality. We, uh, 
we, we use the the British police writers um, book for our our um, textbook. And so we try and ride to um, their standard, and we have an advanced test that we do. So yeah, so I'm I've done the car um, syllabus as well, so I can do advanced training for cars, but mostly um, focused on motorcycles. Uh, Trying to improve our chances of, of staying alive on the road, basically. And is the motorcycle scene pretty huge in New Zealand, being such a beautiful country? You'd think so, but yeah, <laughs> uh, I, yeah I've ridden in Australia, and there's a lot more motorcycles there. Uh, here, there's there's quite a few, but um, it's it's more I think seen as as a, a hobby, like you know, mm, yeah, like if you don't have a boat, you get a motorbike, and, <laughs> uh, and so it's not anywhere near as much. And bizarrely enough, uh, Harley seem to be really popular. And they don't really go around corners, and we've got lots of corners, so I haven't quite figured that one out yet. Um, but but yeah, it is it is a, a great place, great roads, great scenery, um, and uh, yeah, it's just a shame that we're a bit hard to get to. Yes, yeah, it's a little bit of a trip for most people. <laughs> and how do you bring your motorcycle? <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, coming over. O- electric yeah. motorcycles are becoming a thing in America. Has that started to catch on out there at all? No, there's there's basically no uh, there's no no one selling them here. Ah, um, there was was one for a short time but but the problem is because our cities and towns are so small there's not really that much in the terms of commuting every day mm, uh, yeah everything is open road and then and they don't really work very well if you're going oh I'll just go for 500 kilometers today you know or yeah, <laughs> yeah. unless you bring a huge external battery pack to charge it back up or something exactly i'd love electric bike i think they're going to become a thing when when you can't buy petrol powered ones. Yeah. You're going to have to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, how do you incorporate the iPad with your work at IMM Road Smart? Okay. So, I use um, well, you know, Google and Maps to plan my rides. We have uh, uh, sort of criteria for, for planning our, our uh, rides for training. But what I use it for when we're doing our training is the traditional way we have a report we run at the end of each ride that we give to the student. And the traditional way to do it is you print off a whole stack of them. And you write it out by hand, and you you take a picture with your with your phone, scan it in, and email it, and it looks horrific. And yeah. I'm trying to, to move this into the future a little bit, and so I download a copy on the iPad, and I actually write directly on the screen with the Apple Pencil and write it out as a PDF. Yeah, as a PDF, okay. and then I can just email it to the person before they even walk out. So that's just really trying cool. to bring future a little bit. I just thought it's a cool use for Apple Pencil, and uh, yeah, it gives you a nice pristine looking uh, image rather than something that's been scanned and and yeah what app do you use to do all that oh, i just go in the files um app and pull out the pdf and i'm actually not sure what it <laughs> okay yeah the <laughs> files app and the built-in puzzle kit thing. so yeah I've, i mean i've got pdf pen um which i've used in the past which i've got my signature in for mm-hmm. assigning a document i'm i'm allergic to printing things out and, and writing that by hand so um, generally with with pdfs i'll i'll complete them on the ipad and with PDF pen when I was using that for everything is it, I've got my signature, as I say, in a little library and I can just sort of stamp the PDF with a realistic looking signature and send it off. And no one has any idea how I did it. It's great. Yep. <laughs> and do you end up archiving those reports uh, like for the comp, the organization to have on file or how's that work? Yes. So we, we run Microsoft teams for everything basically. And uh, so you've got to, everything has to be kept. We um, it's one-on-one training and, you have to keep everything on the system so the next person to ride with them or drive with them can see exactly what they are, had to work on last time and make sure they've actually done their homework. Um, we have a few people who don't like to go and practice in between lessons. Yeah. So. And how do you do the training? Like, 
on a on a car, you of course have a passenger seat, but what's the logistics there on a motorcycle? Exactly. So we have uh, Bluetooth communication units on our helmets, mm-hmm. and so you pick them up, and there's microphone and speakers, and you go riding, and you can uh, talk to them as you're riding. And they can hear you, and they can talk back to you. Okay. And, uh, so yeah, and and it's bizarre when you first try it. Um, there's there's quite a lot of motorcycle training in this country because the government sponsors. We have a, um, a no-fault accident compensation scheme. Uh, so in, if you have an accident, you're not allowed to sue anyone. You just uh, go talk to the uh, ACC, uh, and they will pay for your recovery. And hmm. they, didn't, they didn't like how many dollars it's costing for these motorcycle crashes. So they've actually got uh, a, a really excellent uh, set of training courses that, that they pay for. And uh, you just sign up and go along and get a day's riding with a qualified instructor try and improve your skills a bit and so yeah we've, there's a lot of a lot of training so everyone has to have a bluetooth comms unit and so it's kind of normal now everyone has them and is that the same for cars like is car insurance like not a thing out there well you have insurance for your vehicle but you okay. don't uh, yeah that just covers your your vehicle but if you get hurt you the government's oh insurance. gotcha because i think in the yeah. states the car insurance actually does i think partially cover um your own health recovery as well. Yeah. Now here it's uh, insurance, unfortunately, is not mandatory. And so a lot of people don't have any kind of insurance, um, unfortunately. But yeah, it doesn't cover your your recovery. The government pays for that, which is good. It's no fault. And if you have an accident, uh, you just go and get fixed up. And and, uh, yeah, I've been using a healthcare system for the last year and a half for various things. And I've paid for parking. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I'm in uh, New Hampshire, and we also uh, were one of the weird states that don't require car insurance, but uh, you're oh, responsible well. if you do end up hitting something for everything. And the other side benefit, if you're a irresponsible little kid that one day wants to get car insurance after the fact that they haven't had it, their uh, rates are probably quadruple or quintuple uh, uh, what should be for uh, uh, someone that has the background of having insurance uh yeah it's, yeah. it's kind of a inter- yeah interesting situation out here interesting okay yeah so any other uses of the ipad uh be- in um with road smart before we move on uh not at this stage i'm i'm really keen to maybe build an ipad app uh for their instruction to try and do all sort of stuff but that's obviously a uh, one day thing but yeah. not at this stage would you consider doing that within the swift playgrounds update later this year as a way into that yeah i've only just touched on i've done a little bit of um objective c years ago uh, but i really need to learn you know learn swift from from the start and that's on my list of things i'd like to do at some point is yeah and, and when it was announced uh, my ears pricked up because because i've got no history with it i don't i don't come to it with a little bit baggage of oh that's not a full x code uh, like you know obviously here on people talking and uh, i'd love to you know i really should go and learn swift and do that so quite excited about uh, using that in the future absolutely yeah i was the same way it's like good i don't want a full x code that's scary i want something simple <laughs> that i might be able to accomplish an app uh, create an app with you know exactly yeah so you mentioned the headsets and the helmets that are bluetooth uh, and and that was very evident within your motor uh cycle video blogs and i was wondering how do you get this great audio of the people you're riding with and that's probably your method and you're hooking that up to some kind of recorder what's your method for uh, for self-capturing all this footage on the motorcycle uh, i think audio is the bane of my existence so so to get the audio from the other guy um that's always been very challenging yeah there's really been no way to record so a lot of people they'll put a, a little microphone against the the 
helmet speaker and try and grab the audio as it's coming out of the helmet speaker, which is, just doesn't seem like a very good way to do it to me. <laughs> right. Yeah. It reminds me of the days where, as a kid, I'd have a boom box and on end credit music, I would hit record right up against the speaker to get a little bootleg version of the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really not not optional. No. So I've got with one of okay. So I work for uh, as I say motorcycle parts place, and we sell a brand of helmet Bluetooth comms units. And so I've got you know quite a few of those now, thanks to a staff discount. And one of them has got a camera in it. And it's not a very good camera, but the one thing it does do is it lets you record all the audio. Everything that will come out of the speaker in your helmet, it'll grab that. And so you, what I was doing for a while is actually running that plus another helmet cam for the good video mm-hmm. and just using that to grab the audio and syncing them up because that's really the only way to get the other guy's audio um, unless you go and actually get his files of his camera before you go home and then grab the audio. It's really not easy. Um, and when you're riding on your own, it's fine because you've got your own audio, but yeah, trying to capture the um, the communications is, is a nightmare. Yeah, and I imagine road noise could be something you have to deal with uh, in these uh, in the audio you're working with. Oh, yeah, it's it's not easy. But I noticed that there's um, – so I have problems with, with audio clipping, like with setting levels because, you know, if you're sitting at the lights and you're not saying anything versus if you're riding at 60 mile an hour and you're having a good chat with someone, the, the difference in level has got to be – enormous and right yeah i mean range of that is is huge uh a couple of manufacturers have actually got uh audio recorders now that record in 32-bit float and they say that it's impossible to clip the audio and then they don't even give you a gain control so i'm really keen to try one of those little yeah. tiny little belt um recorder thing really keen to try but the problem is anything like that i have to bear in mind i ride through any sort of weather and so it's got to right. be waterproof It'll be in a pocket somewhere. So that's a work in progress. Okay. Yeah. And what cameras are you using? You mentioned a head cam. Uh, are other cameras involved in this? Yeah. So I, I started with a good old GoPro and uh, that worked really well. So I dropped it on the concrete and broke the lens. Ooh. Uh, yeah. And and then, so I bought a couple of Sony action cams. Um, They're quite good, but riding around to get power in and audio in, you have to have the waterproof flaps open and you ride through winter and you get water in there and they just, yeah. It lasted, what, three years, which is a pretty good run before they, they just filled with water and died. And unfortunately, I bought a DJI Osmo Action to replace that instead of a GoPro. And what a terrible decision that was. Mm. It's just really not suited to a helmet camera. Its field of view is, is much too narrow when you've got the stabilizer on. So that was a bit of a disaster. And so I've actually given that to a friend. And um, I'm going to go and get another GoPro. Yeah. Yeah, I had the GoPro 2s back in the day. And... Uh... I really liked it. It was very modular, being able to add like a screen to the back of it or um, different accessories. There's even like a 3D mount you could put two together, and that was kind of an interesting way to shoot. I did try at times to like power externally while recording video, and it would overheat quite a fair bit. Has that been an issue with trying to pipe in extra power to the cameras? Yeah, so the, if they're inside of waterproof housing, they tend to fog up if you leave them running for a while with the heat and so the the usual thing is i just drill some holes in the bottom of the housing to let the oh yeah air flow through. and if it's in the bottom you're not going to get water and so it's still more more or less waterproof we're not going to swim in if we go swimming then the motorbike is swimming as well so <laughs> yeah yeah it, it is a problem heat um 
is, is an issue with these things, even when you're in the wind, um, keep it a little bit cool, it's, you know, they still suffer from that. It's not easy. The, the usual way to mount a um, GoPro is chin mount on the helmet. And there's actually a, a company now that makes 3D printed mounts because before it was, it was just, if you imagine like scaffolding for Africa, with with these GoPro arms trying to trying to glue a GoPro in your helmet so it was right in front of your um, vent in, in, in front of your face, but not too high up and not too far around. Terrific. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a company now that makes uh, it's actually a local New Zealand company makes these 3D printed mounts. You just stick them on the front of your helmet. You um, so yeah. And do you use a drone as well in any of the shots? I know that'd be a bit more involved with um, having to tote that thing around because uh, you probably couldn't use it for the whole shoot. Yeah, I. The new, um, the very small DJI drones look really appealing. Um, I've got a Phantom 4, and it's enormous. Yeah. And it, it comes in, I actually bought a hard shell backpack. It's the, it's a huge thing, and the idea was that I'll take it when I go riding, and I'll, I'll stop and I'll get it out. But by the time you, you take it out and put the props on it and get the iPad set up and control, it's uh, everyone's just disappeared by the time you do that. Yeah. So it's not quite worked out well like I thought. I had a, a Mavic. Probably the original one, and uh, until I crashed it, and uh, bought the Phantom, thinking, "Yeah, no problem. That, that'll be that'll be okay. We'll just take that, and put it in a big backpack, and go riding." No, it's it's no good. Okay, <laughs> are they getting better at following you, so you don't have to tell it where to go? It just can like, hey, follow my wristband or whatever uh, it can track. So yes, I, I believe so. My Phantom's not not the best for that uh, because if you go around a corner, then even for us. <laughs> It, it disappears and goes back to home. Yeah. Uh, the problem is that our drone rules here are very strict. And uh, legally speaking, follow me mode, if you don't have someone watching it, is actually illegal. Oh. You have your eyes okay. On. Yeah. You're not allowed to fly over anyone's property without permission. You're not allowed to fly over roads. You're not allowed to fly. Most of our, our countryside, a good proportion of countryside here, is uh, Department of Conservation land. Mm-hmm. And they don't allow anyone near them so a lot of the time my idea was oh just get it to follow me no not legal uh, ah. or just pop up and go and take some shot not legal so mm. the vast majority of the things i want to do with are actually not not legal okay yeah it's a shame uh, but i understand it as at the same time yeah so how do you <laughs> sync up all this footage because the audio yep. probably isn't the cleanest and all the sources to do an audio sync yeah so you're gonna laugh at this but um the way we do it is if you've got number of cameras uh, going and audio recorder going, start them all going and then beep the horn because that way. <laughs> nice loud uh, sound. Yeah, it gives a, a really sharp, um, big waveform that stands out. Uh, and so you grab all these footage and you just sync up so the, the horn beep is, um, is synced up and off you go. End of the day, you can't see my face, it's in the helmet. And so even if I'm a little bit off, it doesn't matter. It's true. Um, yeah, you don't need a links, uh, lip sync. Yeah, whatever's closest, and just mute the rest, and job done, basically. But yeah. And you're currently using Final Cut Pro for this, and then when LumaFusion updates to support multicam, that'll be the app you uh, move to. Is that the editing? Uh, no, no. <laughs> oh, um, see, I like making life difficult. Okay, okay, yeah, because I remember how fu- good Final Cut's uh, multicam was. That's the one thing I. Have missed for years and years when working in LumaFusion because, um, uh, yeah. So what's your process? Okay, so I was, um, I used to use Final Cut and I moved to DaVinci Resolve a few years ago uh, on the on the Mac. But as soon as I had a look at LumaFusion, I just stopped doing all of that stuff. So uh, multicam on LumaFusion manually, which uh, 
I think I've lost a few hairs and the rest of it gone, gone gray. Let's <laughs> do multi-camera fusion. Uh, it's possible. And there's a couple of different approaches I use for doing multi-cam. So if it's just me recording with two cameras, uh, going for a ride on my own. So the helmet cam is the main one then because you want to look at the scenery and, mm-hmm. and things. I lay down on the timeline in Lumifusion and I go through and I put drop markers wherever I think is something I want to look at. And then I put the other camera, the, the one looking back at me, uh, above it and on the uh, second video track and just go and chop pieces out of it. As long as you don't move them around, it stays in sync. And uh, that's that's how I do a multicam just with me. And if it's uh, multicam where it's two of us going riding and I've got his footage as well, and when I cut back and forth, I did a four-person multicam in Final Cut, but I don't think I'm quite keen enough to do that. Right. Yeah, because the way Final Cut does it and the way LumaFusion will do it is it just syncs them all up based on the audio, and you can even have an audio file in there as like, just use this audio and then we'll use the video parts for the other thing. And as you're watching it, you just click between which video you only want to be watching. And that's how LumaFusion will have it uh, later this year. Exactly. I I am a little little, um, cautious about expecting too much because I know with with Resolve, it doesn't like the audio if you have a bunch of really noisy audio sources. It Mm. doesn't like sync automatically. So... Uh, I don't know. We'll see what it looks like. But yeah, uh, manual multicam, be good to not to do that anymore. But it is yeah. certainly possible. Yeah, and I think you can manually, um, in the LumaFusion update, you'll be able to manually sync it up if it doesn't uh, behave as expected. Yeah, I think when I saw that announcement, I think I squeed a bit. Yeah, me too. That was like, finally. I, I asked uh, Terry in my f- like my interview with her on like episode two or three of the show, multicam, and it's finally coming. <laughs> it's brilliant. There's a, uh, stabilization is another big one because... If you have an unstabilized helmet camera, uh, you feel every bump in the road, and it will be nice yeah. to to get stabilization as well. So I'm I'm really excited about that because I haven't you I have not done a single motor vlog on on a desktop machine since I tried LumaFusion out. I just stopped all that. That's stuff. awesome. Do you use any other apps for stabilization uh, until LumaFusion gets uh, their stabilization in, implemented? I I don't just because the unstabilized camera I had. Uh, if you stabilized it, the quality wasn't very good. That this is the helmet mm. cam, yeah. um, Bluetooth again. Uh, the quality is not good enough. As soon as you start cropping in to stabilize it, it just looks like absolute garbage. So I just put up with the the shakiness and counted my my uh, dollars <laughs> and uh, put put them towards getting a GoPro, and it'll eliminate all of that. I, it's not much you can do with it. Uh, yeah. I have. I've tried a couple of stabilizing things, but a lot of these things don't understand uh, motorcycle <laughs> cameras, and, and the stabilization doesn't look very good. Yeah. Oh, what's your process for ingesting all this footage on the Lightning-based iPad? You don't have USB-C. You have Lightning, and uh, there's that SD card adapter I know of, and I also don't know how much internal storage you ended up getting on that one. I know you could get up the 512 if memory is correct. Yep, so I've got a 256 um, iPad. Okay. And so these files are quite large. I think it's, it's 4 gig. The, are you um, capturing the 4K or what's your uh, 1080? Oh, yeah. Well, if 4K makes life difficult, I'll do that because, okay. as I said, like, <laughs> life difficult. Yeah. So, so what – okay. So what I was doing is – and in the field especially, there's a lightning to USB adapter, mm-hmm. which you can get, and that's got a, a – a pass-through power port in it and so run power into it and i've just got a standard usb sd reader 
and just plug that in and using the files app, just drag the file to move, use the move command to move them across. The problem is no progress bar makes it extremely difficult to know. It's just, it's just they're spinning for what seems like hours. Yes. Um, and I, I iOS, uh, iPad OS 15 will, will fix that little uh, bit there. I think I'm a little, little squee out for that as well. <laughs> uh, but uh, because if you let the thing go to sleep, if you let the screen go to sleep, then the transfer fails generally yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of horrific. So what, unfortunately, what I've done, if I'm at home, is I use my Mac to ingest the footage and then push it across to the iPad. It just It's just too much of a nightmare. Uh, yeah. But dealing with, you know, cards and, uh, yeah. It's yeah. Lovely. Data does not work very well. No, so, I yeah, get it. Very... Yeah, the M1 iPads uh, fix a lot of this because uh, they can transfer in the background, and if you use a Thunderbolt dock, those are super, super fast. It was kind of uh, just laughable the difference between using an SD card um, or using my, my Zoom plug directly into the iPad over USB versus Thunderbolt. It was a matter of like three or four minutes versus like thirty or forty seconds uh, for like a one gig file. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So now with LumaFusion, you can actually plug in an external monitor and get a full screen um, view. So I'm actually kind of keen when I get the new iPad to be to get that. It's $100 for the adapter. So I'm like, I don't really yeah. want to buy $100 adapter just to- Yeah, there, there are um, lightning adapters as well for HDMI, but the quality is probably not yeah. quite as good. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'd be quite keen to get a big, get, get a set up with, with that fancy floating keyboard, whatever it's called. I, I forget the terrible name. Yeah, the magic magic keyboard. Yeah. Oh, why do they use the magic? Everything's magic. Anyway. Everything's magic. Uh, <laughs> so, so have that with a big 4K monitor and and do my editing and have a uh, live monitor. Yeah. And so you mentioned kind of your editing process of kind of going back and forth for like the opening. I noticed you have a really nice bumper. How do you create that? Uh, it's you buy it from Render Forest. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so there's there is uh, a number of um, tutorials uh, on YouTube for making intros. There's there's a guy Rob HK. He 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 sells templates and other things for doing these these cool intros. Um, yeah, I should do something like that one time one day. Yeah, but at the moment, got him render for us one. Yeah, that'll do for now. It's only right. 1080p though. Yeah, yeah. I played around with motion because I, I own the whole suite on the Mac back for when I used it in like 2012 and a little bit later after that, um, probably up to 2015 or so. And I, I motion was always one of those apps that was just very difficult to wrap my head around. <laughs> Final Cut uh, was a piece of cake compared to that that app. Yeah, I, I've I've tried to learn motion uh, many times and it just doesn't go in. <laughs> my brain rejects it. Yes. So. Yeah. And and I tried Fusion inside DaVinci Resolve, and that's that's even worse because I think you need to be working in the industry to uh, to get the training. We've got um, After Effects at work, so I'll think about that. But I really don't want, if it's not on an iPad, I'm not really interested to be honest. Yeah, yeah. There's been some clever tricks of just using screen recording and some apps to like you're moving stuff on the iPad screen and animating in that way. Yeah, I see. Uh, the The answer to that and. For, for simple things anyway, is to use Keynote on the yeah. iPad. And you can animate and do all sorts of amazing things. I did that for a corporate video recently for um, our CEO for a management course he was doing. He wanted a fancy video showing about our company. I said, like, oh, I can do that. And I did like animated graphs and all sorts of fancy stuff inside Keynote and just export it. And the good thing is because um, well, LumiFusion, you don't have to let it render and 
keynote is almost instant exporting. You know, I could make changes while he was sitting there watching me. And it's like, oh yeah, make it a bit longer. No problem. There you go. And keynote, you can still export as a video, right? Yes. Yeah. That's a really cool feature of it. Yep. Definitely. So one thing with, with the more complex animations these guys do, one thing that's quite common is to uh, use Keynote to uh, do your animation, put it on a green background, and then pull it into LumaFusion and use the the, the key yeah. to knock the, the background out. Yeah, and then smart. you've got a nice transparent video. Mm-hmm. And uh, chuck that over your... Um, of your video and you've got a little social media icon flying on the screen or whatever. It's pretty slick. Yeah. Now on YouTube, there are YouTube thumbnail thumbnails. What's your process for creating those? Do you do anything fancy with those or are you just doing a screenshot from within the video? Yeah, I do a, a generally do a screenshot or gra- grab a frame from a side of LumiFusion and send that to Affinity Designer because uh, that's got better text tools than Affinity Photo. And I basically throw some text on it and everyone I do, I, I'm always doing something different every time. So I have absolutely zero consistency, which is not, not ideal, but uh, I just throw it on so it looks good, and, and uh, there you go, done. <laughs> yeah. So once again, if it's not on the iPad and not interested, uh, it is and works well. So, yeah, job done. Easy. Uh, thumbnail is easy on uh, designer. Yeah. Yeah, I love the Affinity apps. They're very complicated. I need to spend more time with them, but uh, they're super powerful. I, I really uh, really hope that Affinity Affinity Publisher makes its way to the iPad at some point because I know that's on the the Mac now. So yes, I've actually got it on the Mac, but um, I'm a little bit intimidated by it. So I really need to do one, a course, um, one of their training things I've, I've seen on YouTube. And yeah, it'd be nice when it comes to the iPad, but I suspect that's probably quite a big job for them to get that right. I wish they'd fix a few things in Affinity Photo first. Right. Yeah. Anything else about the video creation process that we haven't touched on yet? Yeah, when I get my GoPro and get going in the uh, the idea is I'd like to make my videos a bit more cinematic and mm-hmm. uh, quite amazing in the later versions of LumaFusion how you can do things like import LUTs and, and quite, you know, for a simple looking app, it's amazing how, you know, uh, cinematic and, and sophisticated you can make your videos. So very much looking forward to making things a bit more a bit more cinematic. So uh, watch this space, basically. Yeah. Now, what's LUTs? For those that aren't familiar, what is importing LUTs? Uh, help with. I should have explained that. Uh, LUT is a file. Uh, it stands for lookup table. Uh, basically, it's it's a way to uh, mathematically transform your footage. So you, you can buy them off the internet. You can download them, put them in. Say you can get a teal and orange LUT, and, and it's just a file you you import into LumiFusion, and suddenly, boof, your footage is teal and orange. Okay, like a color grading tool, almost. Yep. So you can it changes color contrast. Um, a whole bunch of things, and uh, and yeah, they're they're starting to make their way into the photo world now because people are a bit sick of all these presets that you traditionally buy, which yeah. just move slightly. And, and uh, you know, with lots, you can uh, you got a lot more um, control, I think, over them. And that's starting to be the thing. It's come from the video world. That's that was the way when when you film with like a cinema camera, the footage is, is very flat, and so they apply a lot to it to to get it looking normal again. So you can actually look at the footage. And so that's something that's in, in the amateur video world now and coming in the photo world as well. Yeah. In high school, I was watching um, the Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, I think it was. Uh, they had like 12 hours of bonus features. And uh, it kind of blew me away that uh, the video grading part where they spent like probably 30 or 40 minutes talking about the video grading and, you know, transforming 
you know, New Zealand into Middle Earth with just how they changed the color around. And um, yeah, so yeah. that's the very, very early use of color grading. I think it's one of one of the first um, yeah. movies. That it's a lot more sophisticated. So now uh, DaVinci Resolve. That's why I learned that because that is is the color grading app from Hollywood, and it's free. So, you know, why not learn it? And right. the things you just unbelievably good with that, which is why I kind of. That's my only regret with using LumiFusion is is I'm kind of losing a lot of that. But so far, you know, I haven't haven't really needed to to use those. That I don't know that I can export. There's a there's an add-on you buy for LumiFusion where you can export back to uh, Final Cut. You can also read those files with Resolve, and you can just absolutely knock yourself out, go mad with color grading. How have uh, GoPros advanced over the years? I, I had the GoPro twos. I had probably three of them, and they shot great looking footage. I, I, it's been a while though. What's the current state of GoPro these days. Kind of watching the sidelines a little bit because I haven't had the GoPros to try them, but they've got uh, amazing stabilization now. They've been slowly improving that with every every GoPro. So you can you know, run after someone and it looks like you're you're flying a little glider towards them. It's absolutely amazing the stabilization, which is what you want on a motorcycle because especially with mine with the suspension cranked up to hard, it, you notice every bump on the road. So the stabilization is um, really important to us and that gets better every generation of GoPro and the footage tends to have more dynamic range every generation as well, So, which is good if you if you have some really contrasty conditions. It's good that you can pull shadows and highlights out. Have they gotten HDR or Dolby Vision capture yet, or is that still kind of in their roadmap later on? Honestly, I don't. I don't know. I know. I'm, I look at what the uh, iPhone is doing, and and uh, with the HDR capture, and it's remarkable on the the, uh, the yeah. twelve mini. It's just like wow. <laughs> I'm not sure with the go. To be honest with you, I'm not gonna. Um, I'm not gonna lie. I I don't know, but I know that they're getting better every year. Yeah. So I'm keen to get get a late model one and just have a play. I, I don't mind buying a second hand one because oh for sure. What you find with GoPros is people tend to buy them and they use them like on holiday and they're looking at got this enormous pile of footage on the hard drive and what do I do now? And they just chuck it in the drawer and <laughs> it's the last you see of it. So a second hand GoPro might as well be a new GoPro, I think, for a lot of the time. And a lot of them spend their entire life in the case. Yes, exactly. So let's shift to photography. Uh you, of course, do this as a day job, but also as a hobby. Uh, that's kind of how you started. And right now you're focused on black and white photography, which yes. that seems like a field that just uh, that blows me away a little bit. Because as I take a photo, I personally wouldn't know what, what is that going to look like in black and white? Do you have like an eye for this, like envisioning what this will end up looking like without any color in it? Uh, yeah, yes and no. So I, I've always shot black and white film in the old days because you could process it yourself and i kind of got used to doing black and white i've got photos on my walls at home that are all black and white things that i've i've photographed and i've kind of like it as an aesthetic uh i wouldn't say i have an eye for it but there are some things i've learned to look for uh like uh, with color you you have all this color information that that's a bit sort of distracting you take color information away and suddenly what you're left with is you know with form and contrast and tone and you know there's there's a bunch of things to look for i wouldn't say i've got an eye for black and white but i do i do have a few things i look for and now with cameras that you with mirrorless and also you know some dslrs where you can shoot raw and jpeg uh, one trick is that you put the camera in monochrome mode and then you can actually see in the viewfinder if it's mirrorless or you can see the the photos you take in, in black and white and then when you pull it off the computer, you get the original raw file, and which is color, and you can manipulate that. 
black and white, however you want. So it's good for me now to actually see to train your eye by by looking at the scene in yeah. black and white. So what's the hardware you're using to capture, including like tripods and stuff? With what's kind of your gear set up? So I've got a Nikon D500, uh, which is uh, not a full frame camera. Uh, kind of bought it on a bit of a whim, actually. I, I just was at my camera store and I'm like, oh, that looks good. I'll have one of those things, uh, which is <laughs> not how most people. <laughs> Purposes. Yeah, uh, and I have a selection of lenses. I have a, a 11 to 16 Turkina, which is just a lovely little lens. I did use that for quite a lot of my uh, scenic work, uh, and I've got you know the usual 35 50. I've got an old uh, 90s 70 to 210, which works great, nice and sharp. Why not use it? And I've got a carbon fiber Suri tripod. Uh, little travel tripod so um i've had big heavy tripods and they're great but you don't want to carry more than 10 feet from the car yeah <laughs> and uh, for the captures you do um you're getting into some like longer form are they time lapses or what? what's kind of the nomenclature for what, for what you're capturing okay so i've got a couple of uh, neutral density filters uh, and so what you do is you the usual capture method is you get yourself set up and compose the scene and get yourself all happy. Have a look at what the camera says the exposure is, and then screw your very, very, very dark filter on the lens and use an app to calculate what the new exposure is. And then I use uh, time exposure mode to start and stop the exposure manually. And so you, with a very dark filter, when I say it's dark, it is very dark. Uh, it's impossible to see through in, with the camera. So you have to get everything set up and don't touch anything when you screw it on the lens or you'll, you have to start again. And when I say dark... Uh, if you have a one one twenty fifth of a second exposure, you screw this fifteen stop filter on, and it becomes four and a half minutes. So, it, it's good for daytime long exposures mm-hmm. because it doesn't really matter how bright it is. You'll get a, you get a couple minutes out of it, and about four or five minutes is my usual daytime uh, exposure. And it looks different because it's not night, and and it's just in black and white. When you have a, a, a long exposure, and you have like sea or water and sky that's that's gone all smooth, it just looks a bit different because you're not expecting that during the daytime to have you know uh, what looks like nighttime long exposure so better how to explain and will you ingest these photos on the ipad at on the field and play around with the editing there or do you wait until you get back to home base well most of my photos take at least four or five hours to edit so uh, i i do ingest them in the field and just Mm -hmm. make sure that i haven't made any mistakes in there i haven't bumped the tripod and because if you've got a there's a lot of a lot of room for a bit of wind to move around or and quite often at a very low hit rate <laughs> i think quite often when it's when it's a bit breezy out and breezy is when you want because you get the nice streaky skies yeah uh, if you don't have the wind then the cloud doesn't do anything but uh but then there's plenty of opportunity for it bump the tripod even just a tiny little bump will be uh, make it not sharp and so yeah i check them in the field to make sure they're sharp and but that's that's all i do and is it like a full day process to capture these or how like how long are you driving to uh get to some of the scenes you're you're capturing we we have a lot of uh, a lot of places around uh this part of the world with with scenery so even even my neck of the woods there's tons of things going to look at but uh i do like traveling a little bit to go and photograph things that are a bit different uh so i do do take a, a day to do them um we'll go up to auckland and um, and go and shoot some stuff and come back. It's it's a whole day, really. Um, but it's a good fun day out, and you get to take some photos. So yeah. It's all good. Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned it's a rather long editing process, and for me, I, I just like do a couple quick edits if I'm going to edit at all. But in black and white, of course, you're probably adjusting those levels and what 
is all involved with, you know, getting the image you actually want at the end of this process. Do you remember where I said I liked my life difficult myself? Yes. Yes. Uh, so it can take a very long time to edit these images. Uh, the people who are the real masters in, in the field of these kind of sort of slightly abstract, minimalist, long exposure, black and whites, some of them, they reckon they can take 30 or 40 hours to do an image, which I don't think I'm quite up to the point where I want to spend 40 hours on an image, but but um, <laughs> right. yeah, h- half a day is pretty usual yeah. for each image. Um, and so at the start of our lockdown last year, I decided that was a perfect time to do some training. And because I seen these photos and I couldn't understand how do they do that? How do they make it look like that? I had no idea. And so I actually bought some training uh, course material and, and learn how to do it. So what they do, and I do a little bit of this, there's a lot of selections. So if you imagine uh, like a cityscape where there's tall buildings and sky and and, uh, and water, what they'll do is they'll actually select each piece individually. So every bit of, of building facing to the left, they'll select each window separately. And you end up with like 100 selections. And each piece then gets worked on separately. So there's a lot of selections. There's a lot of curves, a lot of gradients, um, things like that. There's there's a fairly simple things they do, but there's so much work involved. Now, I, I tend to do you know, nowhere near that much work. But, yeah, definitely you select the bits you want to work on, and then you can you can do things like you can darken the sky without darkening everything else. And so it's good to be able to take bits and work on them separately. Um, but, yeah, I'm certainly not 40 hours for an image. And to select those different bits, you're – are you an affinity photo for this work? And like, how do you actually go through the selection process? Yeah. So affinity photo, and uh, there's a few different ways to select it. Much like I do for my product photos at work is, is there's the, depending on what you're selecting, there's a variety of tools and, and some are appropriate for different kinds of, of, of things. You, you can use the pen tool and get a, know pen in straight lines around building windows and things and and add selections that way or if it's a if it's a sky you can use the uh, flood select tool so you click on a bit of sky and move the the, um on the on the mac you move the mouse Uh, i think on the ipad it's been a while since i used this one you you've got an adjustment you can move up and down and it adjusts it so it selects more or less of that particular color so if you have a sky which is all one color and you do this in the black and sorry in the in the color mode before you change the black and white generally as well so you can say if you have a blue sky oh you just select all the blue parts and then all of a sudden you get this beautiful uh, hard edge selection around where you want it to go it's much easier than trying to do it manually yeah and do you ever play around with adding like say like one flower that's colored inside a photo or is it pure black and white for all the work you do oh my god that's my least favorite thing that's uh, save yeah. you from selection color. Yeah. <laughs> that's awful. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know some people are, are into that, so I wasn't sure. Yeah. No, I like to have a nice a nice minimalist black and white composition. Um, sometimes I'll blur the water a bit if it's if it's not quite uh, what I was looking for. But yeah, mostly it's yeah, it's selections, curves, gradients and uh, things like that. And you just build it up layer upon layer and eventually you get to the, the point you're you're happy. Uh, but they say art is never finished, only abandoned. So at some point, you just abandon it and post it. Yeah. And before you post it, uh, metadata. I know you use the Metafo app. Uh, what are you changing and kind of adjusting with them there? So with Metafo, I used to use Lightroom and have the whole Adobe package. And I, I found I wasn't using it. So I, I let the subscription lapse because I'm you know, doing everything in Affinity Photo now. 
But uh, one of the good things with Lightroom on the iPad is you can see all of the shooting data. And so you can see which camera, which lens, you can see how long it was, you can tell what aperture you used. And I really missed that in uh, Apple Photos. It's great. It's They've improved it a lot since they first started. So it's, Yeah, and the 15 update will add a bunch of metadata access within there, I'm pretty sure, yeah. And that, that's exactly right. And I squeed a bit when I saw that, uh, of course. And uh, that will mean I don't have to use Metaflow, but I just use it for checking, uh, was that one I shot at F8? Because you want to, you know, all the ones that are a certain setting, you want to do a panorama from those. You can, you know, whatever that is. But yeah. you, you can see all the data and, and it's so good having access to all that. Uh, and it'd be really good to have it, have it natively as well. So you're not adjusting it. It's more for reference within Metaphor. I'm just, just just making sure I've pulled the right images and I put them into an album and work on them and to make sure I get the right images I need to actually see the shooting data. That's basically what I use it for as well. Okay. And then um, we haven't covered Filmic Pro or Halide yet. And I know you do use both those apps for capture, one video, one photography. Can we dive yes. into uh, first Filmic Pro? Okay. So my relationship with Filmic Pro is a little uh, check it, I guess, my history is. I, I do use it, but, um, and I actually have a, a moment anamorphic lens for my iPhone. Uh, but the case they supplied, they had a run of of moment uh, plastic cases which yeah. had uh, wrong pl- bad plastic or something and and it just fell to pieces on me so why was when when i was using that i was quite happily going and, and i've got a um a glyph which is a a um a bracket that you attach with a handle that you attach on your, on your iphone and i was quite happily wandering around with uh, on one riding trip because it's tiny, you know, you've got a little tiny lens and a, a handle, and it's way better than trying to take a big DSLR and stuff with you, and it looked really good. So that's that's what I use Filmic Pro for. But I find it a bit finicky, the, the log mode that you can buy, the, the I forget what it's called, there's an add-on you buy which gives you the color profile, I think you call it. Uh, it's just, I, I, I don't know how I feel about it, basically. It, I could, and it's really good in theory, but I'm not sure how good it actually looks. And quite often I just use the stock um, app to do video work. And you're using an 11 Pro, or what's your iPhone? I am using an 11 Pro. Uh, yep. I had it I had it with me on a ride, and I had it sitting on top of my bike, and I thought, oh, that'll be fine sitting there, no problem. I won't possibly ever forget that's there. Next minute, things flying through the air. And so I had no iPhone for a while. I actually did that two two rides in a row because I'm awesome. And <laughs> uh, so I, I've got my old 7 Plus as a backup Yeah. while I was getting that I took my time getting it fixed because $200 insurance deductible. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so I used the seven plus and it's actually not bad, but, but I kind of got out of the habit of shooting things with it because it's just not as, not as good. So yeah. before that I was well into like halide is, is great for doing raw photos, but then they improved the stock camera app so much that I don't know. It's like, yes, it's a lot of, a lot of effort. And I'm not sure the results are actually that, that good, mm-hmm. but I think they're improving, improving halide, but this is this last iPhone for a while because uh, I'm sick of paying them off. It's uh, very expensive in this country for okay. uh, between paying off my phone and with the uh, supposedly unlimited data, I'm like 140 bucks a month yeah. and uh, I'm getting 12 gigs of data. It's just, it's not on. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So I get that. And uh, phones can last a while. Um, I used uh, my original SE until the 12 mini came out. So that, you know, they, they, they hold up. 
<laughs> this this 11 Pro is now refurbed, and uh, I like the refurbs because um, I seem to have good luck with them. And and this is a brand new phone. I don't see why I can't get a couple of years out of that. Yeah, I mean, I'd love a 12 with with all the new um, shooting features and all the the, the what do you call it, and HDR and all that stuff. Yep. That sounds, but uh, I'd like to wait. Yeah, it'll be there uh, for whatever. They're not getting rid of features like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, anything else about the photography workflow before we move on? Not, not really. I mean, I think I covered most of it. I'm, I am a beginner at this. The, the black and white work that you've seen um, that I sent you, it's. I'm still feel like I'm very new to this. So yeah. as as I learn, things are going to change every time I do a photo. My workflow seems to be different as I'm trying different things. So, and if you were to ask me this in a year's time, I'm sure the answer would be completely different, and I'll be like, oh, I don't do that anymore. That's that's terrible. So yeah, you end up. Uh, like the final result of this it lives on Flickr. Do you do prints as well of this or what's kind of the, the output after you finish editing? I've only just reestablished a Flickr account. I was posting things on Instagram, but to be honest, my Instagram was private until very recently for the simple reason that I wanted to get a little bit of work up before I start, you know, showing the world. Yeah. You know, I, I've, did some training while we were on lockdown for the last sort of year or so. I've been doing a bit of online training and building my skills up, and I've been out shooting and getting a backlog of images. Now I'm starting to edit them. Now I have half a clue what I'm doing, and I'm not completely terrible. I'm starting to edit them and put them up, but it's all very early days at this point. Um, I would. My goal is eventually uh, in the next couple of years to actually start selling prints uh, images, but my, my work's not at that point yet. And I think people would actually want to get money for it, but we'll get there. Yes. Yep. It's a process. Yes. So uh, let's move on just general uses of the iPad. Shortcuts. Uh, do you use this app? What kind of shortcuts have you built out? I am a, I'm a hopeless nerd when it comes to shortcuts. I'm <laughs> absolutely hopeless. Uh, so when the first when workflow came out originally, I really wanted to to use it, and I looked at all the examples they had, and I couldn't I couldn't figure out how it would actually be useful for me because all the examples were things like oh turn video into a gift, but I don't want to do that. <laughs> no interest in doing that, and all the examples were the same way. I couldn't see what I would use it for because I guess at that point my main use of uh, of the iPad was you know trolling on Facebook, and I use it for different things now, obviously as we've discussed, and so now. Uh, I'm actually starting to use shortcuts. Uh, I've got, they're all fairly um, minimal uses compared to a lot of other people. Like I've got, I've got a shortcut set up. So in Apple Photos, if I, if I open an image with a shortcut, it opens it in Affinity Photo as a raw file, not as a, as a JPEG, which you normally get if you just use the share sheet, uh, things like that. Also, I use OmniFocus. And so I'm starting to build up some shortcuts for creating some fairly complex um, project and task setups. And I've got one on my iPhone home screen that I tap that, punch in a name, and I get a project and task set up for one of my photo missions um, at work. So things like that. I'm also <laughs> omnifocused on my groceries as well. So, <laughs> so if, if I run out of shampoo, I, I tap the shampoo button and it adds a task to omnifocus. Oh, that's super, super cool. <laughs> So a little different. I'm I'm still useless when it comes to shortcuts, but I'm I'm finally have have a use like a practical use for it. And yeah. so um, before it was like, oh yeah, I should learn it, but I use it for. But now yeah. I, I have a use it for. So so I'm getting getting right into it and just various. Yeah, as you said that, I could imagine like a widget on the iPad set up with all the common things you may need to restock and 
have like a button for all of them in a single widget and just click whatever one you need to add. And that seems super smart. This is going to sound strange. I go to one supermarket across the road from work and I've taken photos of all the signs on each aisle. And so I'm building a map of where all of the ingredients that I have live. And the idea is that I'll be able to tap on, I make nachos tonight. So I tap on the nacho button and now I've got a list in order of aisle. And then when I go, I go in there and if you set your iPhone to nearby on OmniFocus, it's a perspective then when you go into your, your watch you you bring up nearby and suddenly oh it knows you near the supermarket and you just tap on the watch as you pick each item and then, yeah <laughs> that's really cool that's that's i love that something but different yeah uh, yeah no that's a, that's pretty smart that's work, work in progress but uh yeah. but it's good fun yeah it's, it's great add uh you one support to the grocery store so you can like navigate yes exactly <laughs> one one thing also is uh there's a shortcut that Actually, the government here published, uh, believe it or not, and hmm. uh, suggested everyone use it, which was uh, you can set it up so you, with your phone, if you if you double or triple tap the back of the phone, it runs a shortcut, and that opens the COVID tracker app. So when you're near a shop, you just tap on your phone, and it brings up the, the QR scanner, and you scan in. So that's, that's something I use it for as well. Okay, that's very cool. Yeah, so you scan in, and that kind of registers you being at that business. So if someone gets reported, then they can very easily tell everybody. Yes, so it's illegal here for a business not to have a QR code now on, on the front door. So every, everywhere you go has got a code you can scan in. And people are pretty good about scanning that code or? Nope. Nope. Okay. About 10% of people actually scan it because we have no COVID in this country. Uh, yeah. I was going to say you guys handled it remarkably well. <laughs> yeah. I think it's good luck as much as good management. Because you basically lock down the island and it's an island. So that helps. Yeah. Yes. We we lock down and I, I don't know. We've escaped so many times where we should have had huge outbreaks, honestly. Yeah. But I've actually had my COVID shot um, because I'm a, basically a walking medical disaster. And so my doctor, just go and have your shot. <laughs> so, so I've had one. Yeah. It's, a, it's available in New Zealand then, uh, at least for some people. It's starting to roll out. Uh, it's the the old people and the ones with medical conditions like I've got, uh, mm-hmm. we're all getting. And then in the next month, I think, they're just starting to open it to other people now. But yeah. Um, by the end of the year, we'll we'll probably all have it, and then they'll maybe yeah, because that'd make got, it easier to open up tourism if you can get the population vaccinated. Yeah, we've we've had a, a travel bubble with Australia for a little while, um, which keeps opening and closing. At the moment, New South Wales is is uh, being smashed by uh, by an outbreak, so they've they've mm-hmm. locked it down again, uh, unfortunately. But hopefully, once we all all get the shot, we'll be able to open it up again. Yeah. Yeah. I use the triple tap of my iPhone to change it from light mode to dark mode, so a little bit. Um, Excellent. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I want to try. There's a bunch of things I want to try, like the one where you can you can get it to change your um, your home screen background depending on how much battery your phone has, things like that. Oh, that's a smart use of it. Yeah, I have um, one that just changes it to a random thing at different times of the day. But uh, the battery thing would be pretty smart. Honestly, I feel like I'm just scratching the, the surface now. Uh, a few years ago, I decided that when I install an app. I'm going to go and make make sure that I learn every single thing it can do. Because I figure, you know, we get in these, especially the free ones, all the stuff you can do. Right. You should go, go and look for it and learn it. And uh, so, yeah, with shortcuts, I am I feel like I'm just scratching the, like, the tiniest bit of surface of that. Yeah, there's a lot of power to it. And um, when iPadOS 15 opens up this fall, 
the focus is are going to be another extension of what you can do with shortcuts because you can run shortcuts based on those focuses that are set. So that'll be pretty powerful as well. I'm so looking forward to this. I mean, I know people were disappointed with with because they had in their mind, oh, well, obviously Apple's going to do this or they're going to do that, yeah. and then it didn't happen. That's the tyranny of expectations or whatever they call it. Uh, I don't know. I just expected it to do stuff more, and it did. Yeah. So I'm happy. <laughs> no, I'm happy with it too. I just would yeah, love yeah. that external monitor support, but uh, one day we'll yeah, get that. That's the only thing that's like, come on, you can do that. See, see, uh, my my theory is the reason they haven't done that, reason they won't do that for a while, is that uh, they want to build a consumer monitor to sell us first. No, well, maybe I feel like everything they do has to be touchable. You have to be able to manipulate everything on on the interface with touch, and so you can't manipulate an external monitor with your finger. Nope. And so, so they can't have more on the screen than you have on the iPad screen. Because That's why we have the trackpads now, right? Yeah, but they're still, I think they're, they're, they're limited by by almost like a policy. It has to be touch first. It's like, okay, I understand. Yeah. but Yeah, yep. Yeah, it'll, it'll be curious how that goes. And I should say iPad OS 15, it's much more touch-friendly than 14. The multitasking, you can now do everything in multitasking with touch. So it's like more, even more an iPad than it used to be. So that's really cool. That's good. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, text. Uh, we have notes. We You do journaling. What are all the different text-based apps and like inputting text you do on the iPad? Uh, yeah. I, I bounce back and forth between text apps. I had... Okay, I used to use Byword, and uh, I had everything in Byword, but that that's kind of abandoned, been abandoned for a few years. And so I've been trying, uh, I'm using Bear at the moment. It's a bit minimalist. I've tried Craft, and that seems to be a bit clever for its own good. Uh, and I'm just bouncing back and forth. I, if I can find a uh, like a, a note-taking app that I'm happy with, I'll stick with it. But at the moment, I'm like, Apple Notes, I oh, quite like that, but you can't get the data out of it. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> I say Bear at the moment, but just as I start getting my stuff in, then I realize I'm not happy and I try something else. So I'm continuing yeah. moving notes back and forth. I used to use uh, on the Mac, uh, I was a huge user of uh, Yojimbo. I don't know if you've heard of that. Yep. And so I sort of almost feel like getting, uh, I think Devin Think is, is kind of the modern qu- equivalent to that. Yeah, Devin Think's great. I use it uh, for certain, da- it's more of a data storage thing for me. So I'll put like business receipts in there and, um, kind of like files and it's more of a yeah. file management thing for me i i it just seems like a lot of money for for that <laughs> to get a license but I on the ipad will, it's what 10 or 20 bucks i forget i i just thought, thought you really have to have it on the mac as well to make the best use of it i mean you can and i needed it on the mac to do um i ended up uh i finally export all my evernote notes and did Evan think, and I needed the Mac to do that. So I used the free trial, the 30-day free trial, and I got all my Evernote stuff out and on there. And now it's all synced up, and now the the iPad version's pretty powerful okay. for what it can do. I'll have a look at it. Yeah. Uh, because that's, I mean, considering, I, I, it seems to be the same sort of idea as Jimbo, and I already like that for storing things. I've got Sony PDFs. It just makes my head spin. So yeah. I, do something I was trying to find of a business EIN number, and I was at a loss. Like, where the heck did I store this? And then I remembered, oh, I think I put an Evernote one these days, and I ser- fired up DevonThink, and I just searched for EIN, and boom, it sat founded in like a, a PDF or something I saved in Evernote like a decade ago. And yeah, yeah so that just blew me away, the, the OCR kind of stuff. This really upsets me when I, so I had exactly the same thing I had. I was looking for a note. 
did I store it in Evernote? Did I store it in Notes? Did I store it in your Jimbo? <laughs> right. or, it's, it's just crazy. I want one place to store everything. Just give me one place. Yeah. When I'm text, I go there. I was using drafts for a while on the iPhone. Kind of the same effect, but I've yeah. gone off it. I don't know. I tend to rage quit things as well. So Right. I mean, the, the live text thing is really transformative for finding data. I'm finding things I didn't realize I could find. <laughs> like it's just, it just, it's great. And I wonder how far can go the third party apps and uh, if they can tie that into the system wide search to make this more unified. Do you know if it works on other languages, not just English? I bl- I don't know. Yeah, I'm not because sure. Yeah. I have a friend from Colombia and he posts these memes on Facebook in Spanish in their pictures, so I can't get a translation and it drives me absolutely spare. So it'd be good to be able to point a phone at the screen and go, what's that say? I would think <laughs> you could, but I'm not positive. <laughs> okay, awesome. Yeah. Journaling, that's something you do and I've tried in the past, uh, but it never really stuck with me. What, what's kind of your role of journaling and what's your approach to it? Well, I have been journaling for probably a bit. 15 years, I think. And I, I used um, day one for a long time. Uh, but day one's quite expensive, like 60 bucks a year for a license. And I just want to try and find something else. And also they had a data loss scandal a little while ago where an update just deleted people's photos out yeah. of their journal. Yeah, I own day uh, one and then they moved the subscription and it's like one of those apps that I didn't use it enough to justify. If I was a daily journaler, then yeah, I'd probably subscribe. But uh, So so I'm, thinking, yeah. I'm using a thing called Dialy now and uh, and that's the main benefit is it's cheaper, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, it seems like a similar sort of product to day one. Um, uh, it's quite good. You you can, I can send your reminders to journal and you can set up a template so it'll add in the temperature and the location, whatever wherever you are when you enter a new entry so that's that's kind of cool uh and you can mess around and, and i'm probably going to do a shortcut to <laughs> make up some text and poke it in there when when i'm uh i'm entering an entry you know i'm actually um i'm a fountain pen guy and so i like oh me shoot. too i i enamored with fountain pens <laughs> i actually had a uh a lamy 2000 fountain pen which was like 300 dollars out our money and uh i took it to work and i was quite happily using it there and I managed to drop it off a cherry picker. Um, yeah. Two- most of my collection got stolen in college. My pen case just got swiped somewhere and it was heartbreaking because a lot of time tracking down some of those pens and a lot of uh, money as well. <laughs> and I had one pen for like, from like the year 1910 and like really great uh, condition. It was a nice flexible nib and ah, uh, yeah. So that's upsetting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I, I actually for for a few years I've been using the there's a Japanese planner um, called the Hobonichi mm-hmm. and I've been using the Hobonichi for a few years journaling as well so uh, yeah uh, and the reason I journal is that well nobody wants to hear me talk about my day for hours and hours so I'll yeah. write it down get it out of my system so and it's kind of cool going looking back especially you know at the start of the COVID thing looking back because I made sure I journaled and uh, daily and looking back it's like oh well, I had no idea. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have a sort of uh, template that you follow or just like, here's what's on my mind this day. Let me jot it down. Just, yeah. Whatever, whatever I'm, I, because I've got the phone with me, I yeah. can quickly jot notes down if I want to, but at the end of the day, I just write down what, whatever is, um, has happened, uh, today. That's interesting that I might want to think about later. Do you incorporate photography at all? Like here's a photo from this day or is it all text? Um, yeah, I, I do sometimes add photos in. Uh, just generally, if I think I'm going to want to remember uh, something a bit later, then uh, you have to check a photo, and it's kind of cool to look back and you look at calendar and and see your previous entries. And, oh, that's right. Oh, I went on that ride, and 
we saw that guy. Yeah. Cool. So yes, I do. I do add the odd photo, but I'm not sure how much data it can it can Hold. sort of accept. Yeah. And uh, the Photos app is getting so much better at just populating up these old photos. I, I love the Photos app. I love that you can type in dog and you get pictures of dogs. I love the type of motorbike, and you get pictures of motorbikes. Yeah, that's getting good. much, much, much better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I come from the old school of uh, tag everything or keyword everything. and, and Yeah, with live text, them. you're able to find even more stuff in the Photos app. It's kind of wild. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm an aperture guy from way back and, and love tagging stuff, but uh, all that's gone away now with the with, uh, photos and what I can do automatically. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. And I mean, I'm I'm a bit of an anomaly, I think, with people who are um, advanced amateurs because everyone uses Lightroom, and and the problem is, I tried that, but your photos are kind of in there. With with Apple Photos, it's quite happy to fire things off to whatever app you want, and I don't know, it does a good job of, of not losing the photos. Now, uh, yeah, and also uh, Capture One is coming to the iPad, which I'm so excited about. What's coming to the iPad? Capture One, which mm-hmm. is. Yeah, what is that exactly? So Capture One is is uh, a bit like a cross between Lightroom and Photoshop. Okay. It's a, on, on desktop machines, it's a very high-end uh, photo editing and uh, storage package. Okay. So Capture One, it's kind of a yeah Photoshop plus Lightroom. And, uh, it's a, started out in the world of studio photography, and so a lot of like portrait photographers use it. it uh, so you can tether, you tether your camera to it, and uh, and yeah, all, all sorts of a lot of portrait kind of um, things. I don't know how useful it's going to be for landscape things, but but it's very popular. Yeah, I'll be curious to see that come out. And uh, it's a separate from Adobe. It's a third party that develops this. It, it's a Danish company called Phase One that okay. does the big big studio cameras, like the the sixty thousand uh, dollar medium format studio cameras. Yeah. That's the guy sell that. Do you? have a hunch if it'll be subscription or a one-time purchase it'll be probably a subscription because yep. it's their program on the on the desktop is subscription so okay. it'll i don't I'll, I'll pay for it if it's yeah. even half as good as the desktop one i'm like, take my money shut up right yeah <laughs> yeah so omnifocus i use omnifocus yes. i love it uh there's a new one coming out uh, this fall which looks really great i've been using the beta how do you uh personally uh, use the app like how do you organize your life within it omnifocus is based on the getting things done methodology Yep. I have uh, read the book uh, by David Allen. So, yeah, I, yep, I, that's very much how it started out life is as well. Uh, very GTD focused. That's right. So I've been doing this in GTD for a few years now. Uh, it saved me in a previous job when the job had a lot of waiting for other people and trying to keep track of things. And GTD was absolutely perfect for, for keeping track of a million things. And the review uh, part of that was probably pretty huge in that. Yeah. Uh, when our company... When they closed this down, my <laughs> our <laughs> boss said, oh, I bet you don't know what all your projects are up to. And I said, well, actually, look at this book. Each page is a project and has exactly what it's up to. So save me in previous job, and I've been using it ever since, probably about 10 years now. Uh, I love OmniFocus. I've tried every app out there, and this is the one that seems to fit with my understanding of duty to do the best. And uh, has it's like it's very well thought out. It, they've, um, they've got a, a lot of features which – seem to directly um, apply to how I use GDD. So I use OmniFocus basically from the moment I wake up in the morning to the moment I go to bed at night, my entire life is in there. Do you organize, like, you have a personal section and a work section, and, like, how does that organization? I I do. I've got a, a top-level folder for personal and for work. I'm probably going to combine them at some point because the way I see it now, it's 
not about personal versus work. It's just life is a series of tasks and the context is different. Some of the context is work, some is home. And so um, I probably want to slip a bit less. Uh, I think with the fall and the ability for developers to read your focus mode, I think OmniFocus could do some interesting things where if you're in your personal focus, OmniFocus could just switch you to the personal perspective and show you what you can do, you know, yeah. personal life. So I think there's going to be some interesting things where developers like the Omni Group can um, take advantage of the focus uh, focuses. I could have the podcast focus and just show me all my podcast stuff. Exactly. So that's always been the thing on the desktop with uh, you can focus. But as you say, with Omni Focus Forward, it's coming to the, uh, mobile as well. Yeah. And they'll be able to read uh, the system-wide focus as well. So that'll be kind of interesting to see if they kind of implement that to mirror them. Excellent. So so I have, um, I have all my work stuff in there, all my home stuff. And uh, I use it on my, my iPad, iPhone. I use it on the Mac at work. And on the PC at work for other PC, I use the web interface. Okay. And so you I've got, got a, a web uh, subscription there, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm happy to pay for that. It's, uh, yeah, brilliant. So I have it everywhere. Everything I do, I try and put in there because that's the easiest way for me to remember things is to not have it as a, oh, I'm, I'm doing all these things and also I'm going to focus over there. I just right. have everything in there. Same as my, as I say, with the, with my text thing. I just want one place to put it. With tasks, one place for everything. I don't really think about it. Yeah. So, uh, how do you use mind mapping in your day to day? I'm actually fairly new to mind mapping. Uh, basically, when I'm setting up a project in OmniFocus, if it's at all complicated, I'll just mind map it. So I've got my uh, my, for instance, my test with IAM for. Uh, for, uh, I say instructor, It's we call it observers. My observers test is coming up so I can get qualified. And there's so many things I've got to organize for that that I'm mapping that at the moment, make sure I don't get anything, and then we'll push all that through and focus and make some tasks up. Excellent, yeah. I've used, um, I forget which app it was. Uh, it's the popular one. <laughs> My note, uh, I used that. Right. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, I use that one to kind of think out a, a book I wrote many, many years ago. And the mind map is just so extensive. And it was very helpful in writing. It kind of like laid out the whole book for me. And uh, just it really helps you get your ideas out in a way that uh, an outline just didn't make sense for me. Because being able to move stuff around and link things together made it a little bit more sense to me. Sounds good. So I'm, I'm actually um, a motorcycle marshal as well. Uh, and there's a professional cycle race uh, around the Coromandel in New Zealand, which uh, I'm the chief marshal, and so I've got a, a team of about a dozen guys, and we go and look after all these cyclists on the professional cycle race every year, and so my mapping is good for making sure I don't forget anything with that because there's so much stuff to organize for it as well. Yeah. It's good. I'm starting to apply it to more things in my life. Um, it's very helpful just getting those thoughts out there and down on paper is the first step before we can organize them. Yeah. Um, I want to close the episode on Apple Music Lossless and Spatial Audio. Is there anything you want to touch on before we move on to music? I think I've done far too much talking already. Um, um, I think we've covered everything I can think of, certainly. Okay, so. excellent. So yeah, Apple Music now has Lossless and High Resolution Lossless and uh, Spatial Audio as well. And all this was kind of big enough for me to jump over to being a yearly subscriber. So I'm now an Apple Music guy. I used to just use iTunes Match because that was, I don't need a bunch of new music, but uh, you know, this this quality and the Spatial Audio stuff has been 
pretty substantial for me. I listen uh, with the Helm Audio USB-C Bolt DAC. It's like a little, basically a headphone adapter that has a DAC in it, a really nice one. And I use that with the Edemotic ER4 in your monitors. Um, and it sounds amazing. Like when I want to have a proper listening setup, I load up some high resolution lossless and <laughs> find some um, good albums. Uh, Love Supreme is one of my favorite go-tos to come back and back to. What's um what's your kind of setup for your ten and a half inch iPad Pro for this? All right, so uh, I ha- also have up an outboard uh, DAC and amp. Uh, it's a, a hybrid tube amp. Um, now the brand is a little humorous in its naming. I'll spell it to you. It's yeah S C H I I T, and okay. it's pronounced exactly like you'd expect. Yep, sure. Okay, and they are they make good products, but yeah, they they don't take themselves too seriously. Yeah, and. Uh, and so I run. I was running off the Mac. I've got a long uh, USB cable, um, but I run off the iPad because it's sitting right next to me with the USB A uh, adapter for the iPad, and I just run into the back of the DAC. I've not had any high res tracks until very recently now with Apple Music switching over to the lossless stuff, which uh, sounds really good on my setup. I've got a pair of uh, planar magnetic headphones, the uh, Odyssey. LCD twos and it sounds great. Uh, I think it sounds better than the previous stuff, but mm-hmm. I would have to, like do an ABX test to to be sure. This is gear you had prior to uh, Apple lossless being a thing. Yeah, I've had it for a while. So years ago, I ripped all my CDs to two fifty six AAC and did a ABX test. Couldn't tell any difference between the CD and that. So yep, cool. Got rid of the original. I hate physical media. So get rid of the CDs. And so I've got these rips. And then of course things have changed with iTunes Match and all, all that. Yeah. And uh, I did a uh, whole series ABX test between my rips and uh, Apple Music, the streaming one. The and I, again I couldn't tell any difference. Uh, and so I'm pretty happy until now. Now the the thing is that the usual source for high res tracks is a place called HD Tracks. Mm-hmm. That most people buy from they won't sell to this country where it's region restrictions there uh, I guess the, yeah and so i'm you can do a vpn you can uh, I, d- I don't have time for that right yeah <laughs> but i know people do it but i just can't bother so i've not had high res stuff until now and i'm quite happy with <laughs> the way right, it sounds yeah. now it's a bit more sparkly and a bit more life to it but i'd have to do some heavy access because it really could be on my imagination yeah, when I was learning um, many, many years ago, I attempted to learn some Japanese. I learned a little bit, um, but I opened up a, like an iTunes account in Japan. So I have like a bunch of movies in, in Japanese. So that, uh, that, yeah, so I, I, I know the struggles of like going through trying to like pretend you're somewhere else. It's, it's pretty common over here because uh, we didn't have Netflix for a very long time. And so it was common to do VPN and get Netflix. Yeah. Now, of course... We have it here, but the selection sucks because mm, it's already licensing. all the local places have already got the licenses for everything. So there's our local, it's not cable, but the local um, Sky TV, which is very common here, uh, satellite TV for mm-hmm. all the sports movies. So they already, I guess, have everything locked up. So Netflix is, is pretty sucky. Uh, and people, even though we have Netflix here, they're still VPN and act like they're in America. But I think they're cracking down on that nowadays, aren't they? Netflix. Okay. Yeah. They don't like people doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably but, not. Nope. Um, so yeah. your setup uses both an amp and a DAC. Is that because the headphones yep. you're using require that extra power? Yeah. Uh, so a DAC will only give you like a line level signal. Yeah. Uh, unless you've got a DAC and amp combo. And so I run uh, the line level uh, signal into my amp 
And these planar magnetic headphones uh, love lots of power. And my yeah. your average headphone amp puts out maybe 20 milliwatts. Uh, this thing puts out six watts. And and it just absolutely soaks it up. Mm. You can crank it. Yeah, they crank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> More power, the better, basically. They're basically speaker amps. Okay, uh, yeah. Smaller package. And, uh, and yet it loves it. So six watts, um, and it takes it all and just sucks it in. Makes sound great. What kind of music do you uh, tend to listen to? So... I listen to everything, basically. Uh, I used to be a, a bass head with subs in the car, and I generally will listen to whatever style sounds good on whatever thing I'm listening to. So uh, it, I'm like alt-rock, alt-metal, mostly. And so mm-hmm. if I've got something that plays well and then I'm happy, uh, Chevelle is my number one favorite group. They say you, you, you like the things that you like when you're young and you don't change, but I found them a few years ago. I'm, I'm old, right? So yeah, sure. uh, I've, I found <laughs> them a few years ago, and, and I just love it. But I'm slowly listening to harder and harder stuff. So I've been listening to a bit of metalcore lately, and uh, yeah, a bit of screaming. It's good. <laughs> yeah. No, I have uh, the equivalent in jazz of listening to very, very late John Coltrane in his free jazz era where a lot of people just think it, you know, um, kind of unlistenable, but it's like some of the most almost spiritual music I can think of, of listening to. You can, it kind of connects to a certain part of me that's way different. Uh, it's not background listening music by any means. It's stuff you got to just sit down and just be focused just on that. It's it's interesting. Uh, so at work, I have, <clears throat> in my photo studio, I have 27-inch iMac, and I'm the only person in there, the door's closed and so i can put my own music on and so i listened to the most bizarre uh <laughs> yeah. it's unbelievable like i was listening to some chicago the other day and i switched that off and i put some Mersbo on which is japanese harsh noise and it's yeah. just i'm not sure what's wrong with my brain but there you go you know variety is uh, the spice of life yeah i just you know, get a hang <laughs> oh i feel let's get something really uh not commercial something harsh and unlistenable yeah that's great yeah but a moose boat. <laughs> do you have any um favorite albums that you've found mastered in the the higher resolution stuff in apple music or spatial audio i'm not sure if you're into spatial audio at all so spatial audio i don't think i've got the gear for that because i'm going to you need to get the uh, airpods i Pro. think you can enable it over the wire but i'm not sure how well it plays with dax and stuff um so. I'll have to have a look at that because I, I thought I didn't have the gear for it, but maybe I do. Yeah, so we'll, I think we'll you have to enable it manually. So you, you don't have much experience with that as of yet, the spatial. Yeah, I don't actually know how to tell what albums are now mastered unless you actually go into each one. So, yeah, that's the only way. You look at the listing and like, oh, I, I really wish there was a search or some kind of filter. But um, basically, everything's baselined at lossless, and some of them have high resolution lossless, and some are mastered. Have the Apple gotcha. Master thing as well. So, which is it's kind of interesting. Like, um, whether it's lossless or high resolution lossless, the master is kind of what matters the most. So if it's a bad master, it could be high res, but it won't sound that great because it's not a good master. I really can't recommend anything specifically because I really don't know what is what what has been set up with lost or hasn't. I just know that yeah, the sort of music I like is probably about one percent of your listeners that will uh, yeah <laughs> will, will like. So you know, put some anti affliction on if you're running and blow your eardrums out. Yeah. So yeah, bit of Parkway Drive if you want to if you like a bit of screaming. So right. Yeah. <laughs> Were you into the iPod back in the day? Uh yeah, I had a live gig. I think it was. It might have been the first one. I'm yeah. not sure. But I, Love that thing so much. Um, yeah. No, they're so, great. Yeah. I've, I've had every generation iPod. Yeah, I wish they would make a, an anniversary edition that integrated with Apple Music. That'd be so cool. So now I plug my my 
uh, iPad into my car stereo every day uh, okay. because because I don't have a Bluetooth stereo, and so. And um, why that versus the phone? Because the phone doesn't have a headphone jack, and I've got no Bluetooth. Ah, that's right. Yeah, that was another great thing about the ten and a half inch. She still had the the headphone jack, which I really do miss on this thing. Yeah, I've tried I've tried some third party uh, Lightning to three point five mil adapters, and they die. They're not as good. Like uh, nah. the, a headphone jack, it's it's just more stable being in a, a headphone jack. Uh, yeah. Now, but I actually don't listen to music. I listen to podcasts uh, and audiobooks. And is your iPad a, a cellular enabled model, or are you downloading these at home? Um, yeah. See, that's that's a bit of a, a bone and contention I have with our phone company because when I got my iPad, I specifically bought the cellular one mm-hmm. because to be able to use it anywhere, it was great. And then one day, it stopped working. And mm-hmm. what it was, what it was, when I re-upped my contract for this current iPhone. I was no longer grandfathered into the old plan I was on. And the new plan, oh, that's an extra $30 a month to enable the iPad, Ooh. please. I'm not paying that. So I just, I tether and live with it and, and grumble yeah. every time. Yeah. And there's no concept of like a lower cost prepaid one out there? Yeah, they do. Most of, honestly, most of my bill is paying paying off the iPhone. <laughs> you can you can go for a higher thing, but I don't pay 30 bucks a month just to tether the iPad. No. Yeah. Here in the States, there's <laughs> like a... There's a T-Mobile plan that gives you like, I think it's like six gigabytes that can last for like four or five months for like 10 bucks. So if you're like not using a bunch of data, that's a really good option over here. Yeah. It, see here, it's um, it's uh, 80 bucks a month for 25 gigs. Uh, so that's about 60 US. I think, yeah. How's coverage, gig. generally speaking, like, is it just good in the cities or is it if you're in a rural park going in the middle of nowhere, do you still have coverage out there? Yeah, so a lot of this, most of the population in this country lives in, in one or two main centers. And so the rest of the place is quite sparse and uh, the coverage tends to be a bit rocky, and especially there's a lot of uh, a lot of mountainous terrain, and you just have no no coverage. In the cities, it's great, but mm-hmm. they, yeah, uh, I live in a city. Well, hundred and forty thousand is it a city? I don't know. We call it a city. Yeah, and uh, and the coverage is great here. Yeah, I've got four G in 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 the house, so most it's a lot better than it used to be. Excellent. Yeah, uh, but eighty bucks a month for twenty five gig? Come on. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I looked up the American plans the other day, and I was just horrified. Yeah, yeah, that's always a fun thing, and just checking how things are a bit different with that. That's the problem with being in the ass end of the world is, uh, yeah, things are more expensive and less good here. Yeah, you have a beautiful uh, world lookout too, I guess. Yes. Uh, yeah. Anything else before we wrap it up? I think we've covered so many things. <laughs> I'm sure there's other things. As soon as we stop recording, I think, oh, I should have said about. So and so thing, but I'm, the, the batteries, the battery on your iPad, still holding up pretty well after five years. I, I finally got my A and G and ran coconut battery on this thing last night, just to see because it's not as good as it used to be. Yeah. So it says two hundred and fifty nine cycles and eighty three percent. Not terrible, but yeah. So it's it's dropping. I think the the Apple's uh, guidance is a thousand cycles for eighty percent. So I'm not sure what that means in terms mm. of it dropping fun. But yeah. it's okay. It's getting to the point where it's starting to to be noticeable that it's not lasting a whole day. But it's still not not terrible. You have an Apple store in Wellington or Auckland, or where do you guys have Apple stores? At? We don't have Apple stores here at all. Oh wow! No, they should get no on Apple that. Stores. They should get on that. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah. we have we have a we have some um, 
uh, what's the word? Like there's there's companies that are authorized resellers. Yeah. But but they're not Apple stores, and no. Okay. It's not not a good experience, and so. I uh, I actually what I do is if I need to buy gear from Apple I go to apple.com/nz mm-hmm. and I purchase, purchase from the store yeah they've got they've got a store in Australia and I haven't done it since COVID and I so I assume it's probably similar if you order before lunchtime you get it the next day that it just arrives there's no reason to to go to the <laughs> the local resellers who are absolutely um, hopeless the one yeah here is anyway. you'd think apple would uh, want to build a beautiful store and remake some old building out there that <laughs> they're into that these days we just don't have the population we have four million in the whole <laughs> yeah so one so one million in auckland it just they i don't think that they would they wouldn't have the foot traffic going through there not even with the tourist uh, scene and people hopping well in there. there is no, there well, is no tourist <laughs> not right now, yes. <laughs> But, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I just I don't I think it's probably wise they haven't done one. As much as I'd love an Apple store, yeah, uh, just don't think we've got the demand for it here. Yeah, which is sad. Uh, I'd love to have be able to go and, and bring my miniature horse in and sure, yeah, <laughs> see so, some of the stories. The American ones, it's like, oh, okay. So, um, where can people find your photographs in your motorcycle video blog? Okay, so my Instagram, which I've just made public, is under. Uh, chris.nielsen.nz and my YouTube excuse the dog in the background my YouTube (laughs) YouTube is if you search for black sheep biker you will find my my videos on there jeez (laughs) I think it's every time to go because the dog's found a cat ah (laughs) so all right. Uh, I guess thank you very much for having me on the show. I'm a big fan and uh, just thrilling to come on here and talk to you. Absolutely. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. I, it was just yeah, great chatting with you and hearing all about New Zealand as well as uh, all the things you do on your iPad. Yeah. Uh, and for the black and white photo stuff, I'm quite happy if any of the listeners want to contact me with questions. I'm, I'm, I'm not precious about my technique. If you want to learn more about what I do or I'll see some sample files, then yeah, get in touch. Excellent. Thank you so much, Chris. Awesome. Thanks very much. Thanks, Tim. Well, that was my chat with Chris. My thanks to Chris for his time recording this episode. And my thanks to you for your time and attention tuning in. As a reminder, you can support the podcast by subscribing in Apple Podcasts or by becoming a Patreon supporter over at patreon.com slash iPadPros. Get episodes early and with MP3 chapter markers over at patreon.com slash iPadPros. With that, I'll talk to everyone again real soon.